Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Hi, my name is Kamal and I'm from the Segmentify team. And my name is Joe and I'm from checkout.com. We've teamed up together to deliver a series of e-commerce growth show episodes. And today is a really exciting one featuring Cass Payton from OnBuy.com. For those of you that don't know of OnBuy, they are one of the fastest growing marketplaces in the world. Since launching in 2016, going from strength to strength, OnBuy have just moved into their new headquarters in Bournemouth. With recognised sales of over 300 million at the end of 2021, they are on track to hit 2 billion by the end of 2024. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this very special episode of the e-commerce growth show in the UK. Um, Joe and I are very excited to have uh, Kaz from OnVibe CEO and co-founder with us. Uh, it's really exciting show ahead. So OnVibe is one of the world's fastest growing marketplaces. Um, Joe and I have actually been following you, Kaz. So uh, hello to you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Great, great to be on the show. Beautiful. So we we have been really following you for the last few years, but for the benefit of our listeners who may not heard of yourself and come across yourself on uh, any of the channels in your business, could you help with a very short intro uh, about who you are and what OnBuy is actually? Yeah, but yeah, perfect. Uh, I'm Cass Payton, CEO, founder of OnBuy. Um, I founded OnBuy, sole founder, um, in 2016. Well, we launched in November 2016. So over the past five and a half years, uh, we've been scaling up OnBuy. OnBuy is a, a B2C marketplace. We allow businesses to retail products to consumers in the UK at the moment alone. Um, and we've you know had fantastic success to date in, in building our business and resonating with retailers. It's been a, an incredible five and a half years so far closed the series B or series a plus round in 2021 at 35 million which was one of the largest raises in the uk uh, last year for a, a a series a and you know story uh is only just getting started so thank you for having me on the show great thank you so much for that intro so we've learned about quite a few accolades from last year and uh, a lot of kudos towards the team um, and Joe's actually known you a little bit longer than myself, Kaz. Um, but as we've been preparing for this, I think there's a little bit more Joe and I kind of were intrigued about, Joe. Yeah, so obviously our paths first crossed about four years ago when I was working for one of the big corporate banks. And I remember speaking to you back then and listening and hearing about Onbuy's story, which was at the very beginning then. And I remember feeling that there was something really special about the business and about yourself at the, at the helm of it. So you've, you've often said in the past that Onbuy is no accident, that it kind of came together like pieces of a puzzle and that actually all roads led to Onbuy. Um, so I was really intrigued to hear that. So. Could you take us back to what you believe was that very first piece of that puzzle? Now, it could have been, you know, at uni, could have been at the military. But for you, what, what was that first piece of the puzzle? The first piece of OnBuy's puzzle was um, probably in my mid-20s. I'm 37 now, so let's say 12 years ago. Um, and we were helping businesses to, by this point, 
um, scale internationally. So we took a view, uh, launched the business that specialized in e-commerce, two sides of e-commerce, both building out uh, websites and the technology and the infrastructure for e-commerce sales, warehousing, management, way before there was a Shopify or big e-commerce brand. Um, and we launched around a thousand clients uh, across Europe in seven or eight different countries. Um, and we were doing a, what I felt was a really good job of really helping businesses to scale. Uh, the other side of that business was e-commerce consultancy. So we'd go into businesses that were traditionally retail or small retail uh, and help them to understand how to efficiently scale, you know, uh, all the unit economics to back up e-commerce, um, pick, pack, dispatch, how to get things there, tracking, you know, what you need for different countries or, or even just in the UK, how to scale your UK e-commerce business. So I became, became quite um, uh, heavily involved in the e-commerce space, uh, relatively young age. Um, and during that time, part of that consultancy and the, the scale advice that we would give businesses was centered around marketplaces because originally it was, well, let's not invest in infrastructure uh, of new websites or warehousing in new countries until we've proven a concept and we can prove that concept through marketplaces. At the time, it was easy to sort of connect and start to learn marketplace. And we would teach businesses how to get the most out of marketplaces. And as and this started when I was about 22, but by the time we got to about 25, the advice I was giving our retail customers had shifted because it went from being, look, this is the no brainer. This is the no brainer approach. We go into marketplaces, tap into their existing customer stream, really maximize potential. But what we hadn't realized, or maybe were too naive to realize initially, was how much marketplaces weren't necessarily partners of our retailers, but clearly competitors. And we had a large number of clients of ours that were constantly in what we used to call the cat and mouse game of marketplace, which is they would introduce new products, take new product lines to market, whether they were retailers or brands and manufacturing products, which was even worse in some cases, take products to market on marketplaces and very, very quickly, sometimes within a week, sometimes, you know, a year, the marketplaces were sourcing products to compete with those retailers that we'd introduced. And what I started to realize was, you know, these marketplaces were using my clients as research instruments to acquire product or in some cases, manufactured product to be able to monopolize, um, you know, the retail environment and push those retailers off didn't happen once this happened over and over again with clients month after month we call it the cat and mouse game because the business quickly evolved from efficiencies of scale and branching out to new territories and all of those good positive things that we try and help our clients with shifted into actually how do we constantly find new things to sell because we're going to lose some yeah. inevitably because we're working with marketplace or protect those products and find ways that we could wrap those products in trademarks or white labels or whatever you want to call it to try and stem the flow, you know, really try and cut off the, the loss. Inevitably the marketplaces were still winning. We just bide some time. And I think it got to a point where I remember very vividly going into a meeting with a, a few guys that worked for me at the time. Um, 
And I said, this has got to change. This is insane. This isn't mar- this isn't what we believed marketplace should be. A marketplace in the truest form, if you go back to physical local marketplaces, were a place to rent a space and the retailers to sell the goods. Could you imagine a day where you rent the space and the marketplace owner no- notices the candle store doing really well? So next week, the candle store can't come in because they've put their own candle store on there, you know? Yeah. That didn't happen, right? This isn't marketplace. This is retail. And it, once that switched and I thought this giant, what I believe to be a conflict of interest of marketplace needed to change. And at that time, I'd quite fortunately um, been relatively successful and I'd saved up, you know, some money. Uh, I exited a company and I decided now's the time for me to really make a difference and i took the first half million pound of the first time i'd ever had half a million pound um and decided in 2004 no 2012 we really started to plan it 2014 we started to build it so it took me till i was 28 to get everything together before we really pushed the button but um i really decided enough was enough something has to give let's do something different Fantastic, fantastic. So if we think about you really were pretty much a visionary then, back then, at 22, thinking the way you did and and helping businesses in that way at at the age of 22 and, and thinking about how to help those marketplaces when really at that time, how many marketplaces were around really? Yeah, not, not as many as there are today. I tell yeah. you, I've never referred to myself as a visionary, but um, I, I, I didn't even refer to myself as an entrepreneur until I think I got to 30 and thought, hang on. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll accept that now, but hadn't even seen it that way. I think the way my mind worked was, just saw an obvious you know to me obvious gap in the market for a difference not really realizing that is entrepreneurial spirit just to me it was you know very very obvious and and obviously i realize now that that's more to do with the way you know i think but back then it was it was very much look you know at a young age i set up my first limited company at 21 um and the plan then was just you know i knew that i could build web technology or at least not build because i'm not a coder but i could understand and translate business requirement into web development methodology i could work with the coders and work with the business people i found that there was a big gap especially back then in being able to explain what you want and somebody actually map out the delivery of that thing in a way that actually adds value to a business. The business owners didn't know what they want and the coders needed to know what to build. My job would be to go into businesses of all kinds. It wasn't just e-commerce back when I was 21 or even later. It was anything. We did reverse e-commerce, so buyback systems, e-commerce, dating websites, price comparison technology, uh, warehouse tracking delivery management systems all kinds of stuff because i had this ability to just go into a business sit with them for a few hours work around the team and understand very very quickly what this business does and then learn quickly how we could efficiently code a solution to make that business more efficient scale or whatever it was and 
I used to thrive off being able to deliver that, you know, connectivity between tech and business. And, and I did that for a long time. Onby was the first time that I decided I wanted to be on the other end of this space. I've helped many, many businesses to grow and scale and become successful. But my business, maybe stupidly back then, didn't carve into that success. So my business was always, we have to go and find more clients, right? Because <laughs> this client's done well now and doesn't necessarily need us anymore. And, you know, yeah, it evolved. Fantastic. And you at uni, you didn't study, it wasn't tech, was it? Or software, it was law. That's correct, yeah. Where did you get the, the tech knowledge or know-how from back then? I'd been involved in tech since I was really young. I mean, at 14 years old, I was um, I was already helping supermarkets to install barcode systems so they could drive efficiency from, you know, product retail. Um, wow. That started with the paper round, but <laughs> quickly shifted um, because I realized the mistake in the methodology of, um, of how they price products in supermarkets at the time with paper stickers and noticed that they were matching prices as stock was being delivered. They were walking to the shelf and going, how much is this X? Um, and they would, you know, match the price of what is on the shelf. And I, I remember being there during collecting a paper round once and going, how do you know that the price hasn't changed since you bought it? You know, yeah. you can't just do that. Like, surely. And I think that goes back to always being involved in something, selling and buying of something. And, and then I noticed this and I remember I, the shop owner was there that day and he said, you know, go and get the paperwork on. I think it was actually a tin of tuna. Go and get the paperwork on this tuna and, and, and prove instantly. They're actually buying the stuff and selling it at no margin, you know, and then that was it. He sort of looked at me and thought, how did you notice that? And then from there, I said, well, we could, you know, have you seen what the big supermarkets are doing? We can do that here. We can deliver barcodes, pricing, stock inventory, order management systems connected to accountancy you know, platforms at the time, Sage, and then go on that journey of um, of delivering solutions to a business. So that led me into selling that to a few other stores because then I packaged it up as a solution and just looked for any local store that had paper tickets on their products and said, hey, I think you're losing margin, you know. And, and how what, old were you there? Sorry, what 14, age? 14. No, that, that's unbelievable. <laughs> that's unbelievable at 14, seeing what you can do within that 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 sector there phenomenal the shopkeepers must have been like who's this 14 year old telling me but i turned up to a supermarket this small franchise supermarket one day just the local store and i said uh i worked at the other franchise in another part of town um and their margin had dropped from 30 to around 15 percent over three years and i i bet you've been watching your margin fall over that period and i know why and he didn't know what to say. He was blown away. He looked at me like I was speaking Japanese for a minute, you know. Uh, what is this 14-year-old boy telling me? Um, well, that, that was my approach was, you know, shock them with a with a with something I knew was happening that they didn't necessarily know. But that led me into web design at quite a young age and building stuff for local uh, companies and whatnot, just in my free time, actually. Um and I did that all the way through being in the military as well. So when I came out, I figured, well, that was an obvious thing. I started my law degree. I joined the military at 17, did four years, left um, 
20, 21, just just though, just just halfway through to being twenty one, and decided that's something I can do while I'm at uni because uni was so slow. I thought I could do more of this, and then it just just kept going bigger. By the time I got to my third year of uni, I had 27, 27 staff. It's fantastic, and it, I didn't realize you was doing that at fourteen. So really, Cass, you know, it's been in your DNA. It really has. You think about yeah. footballers, you know, they're shown at a very young age to have some great kicking skills or uppy skills, whatever you call it, that they, they, you see it in them from young. This was in your DNA from young as well. It's, it's phenomenal. What a fantastic story. Incredibly successful story. So thank you very much for positioning that. I know Kamal now wants to focus a little bit on um, the growth within Ombai, where you were there back then and, and where you are today? Yeah, I'm, I, I guess a good starting point, Kaz, is probably the learnings of what you took from the first business, because you must have been working numerous hours around uni, around everything that's going on with life, and then you're juggling. And so you, were there some skills that you've learned that you've bought into um, on by? And from that point out on by, you know where did the focus actually go was it all about the sales number from the start i guess was it all about the growth um was that where everything been pointed to i wish it i wish it was a really simple answer but i think one thing that i've learned through my young career uh is i've i have a tenacity to constantly evolve so when i opened my first business i I'll say it with pride, I did not even know how VAT worked, right? At 21 years old, I had no idea. No one's asked. Uh, family's not in business. Didn't really know much about it, but just knew that I could make this work and knew that if other people could, I could. But what I found is throughout that period, from, you know, 21 to launching on by and putting it online, you know, 20, sorry, 32, I think, on by went online. Um, the learnings are constant and even starting on by, I'd learned so much during that period of all different things, but even starting on by and looking back now, five years later, I still feel I was so green then, you know, I started with a certain approach that I felt was logical and, and I could make it work. And I look back now and I think if I'd have started a bit differently, knowing what I know now could have done it even faster, you know? But that 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 um, that constant evolution, I think, is key to any career. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you've got to constantly learn. And I, I personally find that as I am scaling out, I am hungry for more information constantly. If I don't think I know everything about that thing we're doing, or the strategy, or other strategies that people are employing, I really need to learn. I put on LinkedIn yesterday. Um, a true story. I don't do a lot of reading because I don't have a lot of time. But whenever I go on holiday, I usually take a few things with me. And at a relatively young age, um, circa 24, I think it was, um, I bought a book by Theopathetus, um, Enter the Dragon, you know, when he was in the Dragon's Den, it was the big hype and it was super successful. I put this on LinkedIn yesterday because there's one really important learning. It's just one example of many, many things that you learn along the way that I learned from him that he said, you know, occasionally, you know, you get sucked into the business, 
you're on the hamster wheel, he called it in his book. You know, you're spinning, there's lots going on, stress, there's stuff to do. You can easily get sucked into the business, but sometimes you've got to get off the hamster wheel and actually look, you know, don't be in the business, look inwards, say, hang on, how do we actually make this business go in the direction that I want? Not the things we're doing, but what about aligning the things we're going to do? Where are we heading? What are we doing? I took that on board because I found myself constantly getting sucked in. By the time I started on, I already had a lot of these learnings and I already knew, you know, the basics of we prioritization, OKRs, we need structure, we need clear goals, we can't waver, but we need to be prepared because we're still a startup and we're going to learn a lot. We're going to fail a lot, but you're not failing if you're learning, right? Because we're going to try something, doesn't work. How fast can you move? How fast can you do something else? Gut feeling to me has always been important. So trying to make sure if I'm feeling it's not going the way I want, I don't need to wait for I don't need to wait for someone in data to tell me it's not going the way I want. I can make a decision with my gut that I trust my gut, you know. Yeah. And I, I when I started on by I had all of this learning from my previous ventures that I'd done bootstrap from day one. It on by was the first business started at bootstrap, but the first business we ever sought to seek external investment. So there, you know, took us on a new learning road, you know. Yeah, and the successes for on by if we just have a look at some of the news uh, articles, your updates from last year, you know, sales percentage growth that some businesses can only dream of really hearing some of these figures from yourself would be interesting. We know you've increased the number of supplier partners you've got last year. Um, you've increased the number of SKUs have gone up. If I'm right, you guys are on on by a current, you're almost up to 40 million SKUs at any one time. Um, and then you've got all these other accolades. Uh, uh, average order value, I, I think, went up for yourselves to a you know a higher number than it was previously. So, uh, how do you actually uh, prepare all of this for all of this hyper growth? You know, um, and you know, is that from I guess a follow up lead just to let you run on it? Is that from pure commitment to? Uh, the process and uh, what's been put in place and how much of that is actually Kaz just conceive a vision and where it's going and just driving it to that point. Is there a balance that you find? Yeah, I think, you know, what I have learned is it's all good being driven and, and having a vision and everything that, that is paramount, but the business can't move as fast as I want to, right? Um, you know, when, when you're preparing for growth, and we've made mistakes. If we look back over the the past few years, this growth's probably been too quick. You know, in if 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 you grow before you're ready, you create a mess, and then you have to sort out that mess, right? Because is there's not much you can do about it. We grew as a business. Our story's a bit unique in the sense that we grew very very quickly with with not a lot of investment. So we became a we became a 150 million pound company with an in total investment, including angels and my own money of roughly 8 million pounds. It's not a huge amount of investment, you know, relative to the value and size of sales of the business, you know, 150 million pounds sales. And that is a telltale risk warning really, because you've not had the opportunity to invest in the infrastructure product, you know, the foundation of the business to be able to cater for that scale. So you're always trying to grow and deal with the foundation. Um, and it's hard, 
it's hard work to grow at that pace when you're not 100% ready. But now that we've learned that and we've seen it and I've been through it, this is what I mean by constantly learning. I'd never had a company that grew at that pace before. Um, and I grew that company. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of businesses out there that have grown that quickly. Well, I did it until we raised our last round with no CFO, no other C-suite at all. Um, so I was head of, you know, I was CEO slash CTO slash COO, CMO and CFO all rolled into one person. And there's only so much you can do. And I think the last round was so important for us because it was the first time we were able to raise sufficient funds to say, okay, before we start really pushing this growth button again, we know how to do that. Um, the business needs a bit of, it's an inflection point, right? We need to look inwards and go to be ready to become a billion pound company. For example, what do we need in place? How do we sustain this growth? Not just take it, but genuinely sustain it. And it's that learning of, you know, trying to manage that scale. And I have to say, you know, it, it is a constant personal uh, change. If you can't, personally deal with constant learnings and changes yeah there's nothing comfy about about that kind of growth and and understanding this kind of business growth but I've, I, I love it i thrive off that constant evolution and change and challenge um especially when we get it right um yeah, but yeah it's uh yeah I, I mean i love it and now that we're ready and we're at the point that we're coming to the end of 20, you know, I say coming to the end of 2022, in my mind coming to the end of 2022, because that's when we can push the button again. I'm fixated on September onwards, because that's when I can start doing my key thing again. Until then, we're building product infrastructure, you know, we're building a really strong foundation ready for the next, next wave of growth. So yeah. That, that wave of growth, so 150 million pounds recorded in uh, sales to date and growing. Um, is that mainly in the UK, Kaz, or is it coming from other territories as well? Or um, UK, yeah, and that's 150 million um, in the past year. Yeah, yeah and uh, what would you say were the actual big milestones? So 150 million is a huge milestone to actually target from the start, but were there any incremental areas that you identified that, okay, like you say, now you waited till September. I don't know if the ITV adverts were a part of it, but I remember the big launch and the excitement around that, but were there any particular milestones that you guys were working to? Um, I mean, there's always, I mean, when we started the business, I said, I can't wait for the day that, you know, we hit a million pound a year. And then it was, okay, 10, and then, okay, 100, you know, now it's what we've got to do to get to 200. And then, you know, you just keep going, don't you? I mean, the one thing that we do as humans is we constantly just create new goals. We think when I'm there, I've cracked it. And then you get there and you go, okay, when I'm there, I've cracked it. Um, but I think, for me, no, this isn't a business that necessarily has a financial goal. It did initially because we had to prove the concept and that needs some numbers bounding around. Um, I think once we get to a, a billion in sales in a 12 month period, we can truly say that we've cracked it. Um, but that isn't it, right? This it, Then it becomes less about money. The money's more of a, like I say, a validation or a credibility point. For us, the next stage of the business is 
how do we genuinely make a fantastic company that's that's brilliant for retailers and brilliant for customers that's it that's crack that and 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 we we've done what we we set out to do which was make a difference and give customers something different a reason and and a, and a you know a, a reason to choose a different marketplace and give retailers a partner you know we're one of the only marketplaces that can genuinely say every single pound sold on onbuy is a pound turnover for the retailer we don't sell any goods yeah no absolutely and you often say that you are the ethical ecosystem for both buyers and sellers um, and I think that's really, really important because that's the, that's the differentiator. You know, you've often said as well, you know, you're not creating your own products. You said that that earlier to sell on the marketplace. So those sellers can really feel that they're being looked after gen generally, genuinely by by you as a marketplace. And, and what happened on, I know, uh, Black Friday, I know that you forfeit some of your commissions. Can you explain about that? Because, you know, again, that's that's proving value and, and showing your sellers, you know, that you're really caring about them. Yeah, I think, well, it comes back, you know, just to touch on that ethical story, the very reason for even choosing to start on by was to be different and to be more transparent around how we work, not competing with the retailer, not trying to manipulate the customer to buy our product, et cetera, et cetera. So I think getting back to why you even set up a company, that's the proof point. It's not like something, you know, some companies tack on ethical into their business because it's a hot buzzword at the time. But for us, no, our very core foundation was to be different. Um, and that stems into, um, you know, the discounting that we do. So on key sale events, we decided to be different. We got a bit frustrated how some market, well, all of the marketplaces really, um, reach out to, you know, the retailer and say, hey, you know, it's Black Friday. Let's get some good prices on the website. Can you discount this? Can you discount that? And I look at them and think every business in the UK at the minute is having to discount to, you know, add to consumer value and really drive Black Friday sales. But not the marketplace, right? They're, they're not. They're, their fees are fixed. They, they just want you to take all the hits so they can suffer the benefits. And I just decided, well, you know what? It's not really the why we started this company. So on Black Friday, we completely, you know, absolutely smash our commission down to near nothing um, so that the savings can be driven to the customer, you know, from us both. We basically say, look, we're going to take, you know, 90% of our fees away. Please, please join us with a discount. If you don't, just take ours. We've made it automatically cheaper for the customer. Seller net's the same as what they were happy to take. We don't make as much commission. Customer saves money. And we say to the seller, look, if you want to join us on this, just lo lower your price for the day, you know, but that's your decision. And how, how, you know, how driven are you to create sales today? And the retailers generally join us because it's like, well, now we're in a partnership, right? You know, we're not just saying lower your prices, please. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, we, we call ourselves the partner to the retailers because we want the customers to have the experience of shopping with us as if they're shopping with the retailer, but we're not. It's we're, The retailers are our suppliers, right? We, we are a, a, a convenient choice for customers to be able to buy from, you know, 11,000 plus retailers in one basket really simply without the complexity or the, the I said it's carefully, risk of having to go and, 
hunt where they shop. They know we've done diligence. We know we've got their back if something goes wrong. Um, they can buy from anyone on our platform and know that if it goes wrong, on buys here to help. And that convenience to the customers, you know, one of the reasons why marketplaces is, is so successful when you get it right. There are some new things coming this year that's really going to lift this even further. But for now, that's been a recipe, you know, that's really helped drive businesses to our platform because we're their partner and customers feel that we're not, you know, manipulative over what we're trying to push their way and we're an ethical platform to build a relationship with. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And, and actually, if you think about marketplaces, it's one of the toughest kind of industries kind of to be in because I think you said this before, it's the seesaw effect because you've got to look after the buyers and the sellers. So most businesses, you know, it's just the sellers or it's just that you're selling, it's, it's the buyers. You really have to balance both. And um, <laughs> you could have found easier e-com businesses to go into, but, um, but yeah. Even, even with the business, you're fairly newcomers to challenge in a marketplace arena. And you don't see, uh, there, there, there seem to be quite a lot of niche, vertical, specific type of uh, marketplaces, whereas uh, you're combining all different types of sellers with all different types of products. And uh, as I mentioned before, I've had an on-buy supplier account. You know, uh, I've been online, I've tested the platform. We're comfortable with some other uh, marketplaces. Um, so, you know, going from 150 to actually what seemed like a reasonable target to a jump of a billion dollars in the next you know future you've got a lot of learning behind you now now you've got a lot of very um uh, loyal suppliers to you you've got a lot of really happy buyers i've once received a product in the last year and the transaction was really simple um so you've got some core foundational elements that have just really grown in the last few years i'd imagine in particular been great for that how much does the obsession with that customer in the drive that bit of growth or is it more uh, about you know reshaping a business to build that or is it really listen looking at the customer? customer is everything and as you get bigger the customer becomes even more important right so for us now customer is everything um so so important when i say everything that doesn't mean at the cost of a retailer um, I told you, we treat the retailers like, you know, they're, they're, they're part of us. We, we, we've all got to make this work. We've got to deliver the experience the customer wants because that's what's going to keep the customer coming back. And that's what keeps everyone in business, right? So the customer is really important. And, you know, don't get me wrong. You can go to the moon and back for a customer um, and still not meet all of their expectations sometimes but you've got to work on the basis that look you know i'm trying to be the right product for the customer and this is really important i said to you earlier we're, we're building out our product there's a number of things we're looking to do this year um things that get me so excited i can't sleep at night exciting you know, you know so really quite a big year and you know happy to reconvene in six months and share what we're up to but right now i have to can't even tell family what we're up to you know it's really really exciting and uh the customer is very much the central element of these things this year we're trying to deliver a really strong proposition to unbuy that changes the game reinvents it you know we really want to do something massive and once we've done that this year is also about scaling out and taking that proposition and this model 
to new places, right? Because, hey, this this problem we have as retailers in the UK, same as the one they get in Germany and the same the one they get in the USA and same as the one they get elsewhere. So, yeah, this is a really important year. We're investing millions of pounds in infrastructure and scale, you know, preparing to, to scale. Um, tech team's gone through the roof. I said we started this business with, you know, four or five people. Um, this week we hit 145. Um, and that ramp up from, you know, 14 people, which was only a couple of years ago, uh, to 145 has just been mind-boggling, you know? You wander around your own building and think, I've got so many names to learn. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite Kevin. similar at, at checkout. I think we're, we're 600 this year. Yeah. And every week I come into the office, there's more people. It's um, very oh, we'll similar. We'll catch up to you. Give us, give us two more years and we, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're really interested to know as well how you – because uh, we can see your lovely backdrop. We're guessing you're at the top of a terrace at the new head office for Onby. On the roof of Onby House, yeah. Onby House, is it actually named Onby House? You put Onby House on the front of the plaque, yep. Yeah, we did indeed. Beautiful. So, we, you know, you just mentioned there you're up to 145 staff. Um, uh, Joe and I were kind of intrigued how you manage that growth. Sounds like you've been very lean with resources and you've been... Um, you know, spinning lots of plates and rolls to get to this point. A little bit better position with a team around you now, but it's still very fast growth and lots of recruitment going on. How, how, what are you putting in place for that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, growth is growth is pain, right? You're going to get growth, you know, is there's no way there's no way around um, growth pains of any kind. You're always going to get them in it. And the faster you grow, the more pain you're going to get. And I think scaling from 14 to 145 people, there's not one person that's done that that wouldn't say that's a lot of work. It's more work than I think people realize because when you have a small business, when I had you know, 10 people or 20 people, which is the typical size normally that we would run at, we peak at about 30, like when I was in university with salespeople, but then you find a different approach. And 10, 20 people, it's quite it's relatively easy because you can manage that team you know who they are you can you can build personal relationships with everybody right and you can really understand what motivates drives and you can be close to them as a ceo you can be close to them as a leader of the company and when you start to go above 50 it gets a bit harder because you can't have 50 personal relationships you can't have that close connection so you, i realized really quickly I need to instill the energy and the excitement and the direction and the thought leadership into the team around me so they know how to repeat the vision and they know how to keep everyone, um, you know, updated with the tasks in hand. So we started to introduce a, a strong leadership team. You know, I brought Mark Lister in from... Um, eBay group. I brought James Watts, our CFO, in from Amigo Loans and Richmond Group. Um, yeah, and this we we just hired a new marketing director um, who uh, she's AO.com's marketing director. And you know, as, as we start to really go out, and product became really important as well. So we brought Dan Siemens, who is you know uh, worked product at Tesco and Domino's Pizza. You start to bring the people that you believe can do it 
and the people that see your vision that can repeat that vision and, and excited by that vision into the company because if you can do that you can layer if you layer correctly with the right osmosis as far as the vision's concerned then it can really filter through into the business and you know you can really manage those growth pains but it is still going to be tricky you know you are still going to make a few mistakes here and there as you go 145 people from 14 is a heck of a jump um the infrastructure changes you know i've sat here at the new building but we were at the old office scaling from 14 to 50 60 70 80 you know and, and i think i never realized just because you haven't done it how much complexity creeps in you know, do we have enough toilets to hire another 10 people right. where do i put these desks you know yeah. what about lunch breaks how do we manage that right how do you manage a herd of people going out at the same time who's gonna you know and then this ever-growing complexity you know you can't do it on your own that's that's a that's one thing i learned very very quickly as we scale up to around 50 people and i was still the only c-suite person in the company and you know, uh, lots of direct reports out of those 50s. And that's time killer, right? So, yeah, protecting my time helps me be a better leader with a team and keep that, you know, vision and direction and energy going. And I speak to the whole team, you know, every two weeks on a, on a, on a whole team call. But I have an open door policy as well. So I'm always engaging with everyone and um, fun and games. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. And and I think knowing you as much or as little as I do, I think culture and keeping that culture as you scale and grow is going to be really important to you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, culture is something, you know, you can't create a culture. You, know, you, you, you hear people, you know, joining and, and you hear marketers say all the time, you know, how do we create, you know, a culture? How do you do that? You don't, you, you, you provide the environment and the culture makes itself from your vision, you, the way you run the company, your ethos and ethics, your policies, all start to define that culture. And our culture is a good culture. I'm really proud of what we've created. You know, we've, we've driven in hybrid working to the whole company. We've, um, we've introduced share equity schemes for the whole company. We have a really strong understanding of parents that work because I'm one of them as well. And I'm quite often have to, I'm the one running off to school and everyone, I'm the one saying, I'm sorry, I have to leave this meeting or sorry, I'm late because of the school traffic. There's a really open culture at Ombai that I'm really, really proud of. And I think a lot of our team are proud of too, because we've, we're past that whole, older way of working you know you're five minutes late well i was doing the school run um you know is none of that it, it, we've also become a very much an, an okr you know an outputs business so what are your objectives and are you achieving them you know to some degree and i i say this with a tongue in cheek but some degree i don't care what we do you know you you, you let's as long as you know you have the right attitude and the, the you know you you you're doing things the right way but we just need to hit the objectives right you know as long as you're hitting your objectives we we're happy you set reasonable objectives understand what they are and everyone knows what they're working towards and their contribution towards the greater picture you know it, it, i'm really proud of that culture because people know what they're here for what they're doing 
how it helps. They don't feel like a lost cog in a in an engine. Um, every single person at on by plays a you know a contribution role towards the common OKRs of the whole company, and therefore I think we're all we're like a a giant football team, you know. <laughs> how did you keep all of that together in the last few years? Did you have the technology in place to uh, quickly change and adapt into letting people work from anywhere remotely, or you know, because keeping the culture together in the office with a wonderful view and uh, you know just just seeing people every day. So, were you prepared, and was it a, you know a transition that you just managed to keep everybody and connected still over the last few years? No, <laughs> no, we we did our first venture capital fundraise. January 2020, we only raised 800k. We're a team of 14 people. By March, COVID came, and because of the money we raised, because of COVID, you know, because of all of the above, our business had shot 6x. Um, we only had 14 people. We were, we had no VPN no no technology to work from home servers in the office didn't even work you know as well as they should because we were extremely lean um to that point and we literally blew up and had no infrastructure to deal with it so it took an enormous amount of work from everybody that was there at that time we had to we were literally you know customer service new servers bpm we didn't even have the space for the service so we had builders in the office knocking down walls to get electrics and make sure that we're fireproof we didn't have enough bathrooms so we had builders in knocking down walls to build bathrooms because we couldn't get a lease fast enough to cater for the growth we were having fiber lines installed to the building just so that we could cater for vpn we were trying to transition the team into laptops so that we could you know we didn't, weren't even a laptop so people were carrying their computers home you know and trying to get them set up but we didn't have technology you know teams and all of those things now really come on but then it was like what do we use what do we do and everyone was rushing to different products it was complicated and it was worsened by yeah i say worsened touch what it was it was positive but it was carnage you know working as many hours as you could until you know your body says i need to sleep now um it was it was really busy we, and they we added had the rise of of the covid and pandemic and the rise of online shopping at the same time yeah as your which must have been crazy and yeah you know it was and then i had to fundraise for four months to open our series a urgently um in 2020 uh, i think it was june or july because all of a sudden the business had boomed but you know we'd only raised 800k right we we we, we were flying and we had to quickly open a circa four point whatever million pound round to get and sustain you know this hype and unfortunately we were trying to raise money at a time because it was so quick after COVID that no one was investing because everyone panicked and they didn't know where to put, you know, money. And like, is you know, everyone was really, really worried. It was a horrible time. The positivity for e-commerce had not kicked in at this point. It was just chaos. And um, 
and yeah, you know, we entered a new fundraising round in July, raised four million. And then a few months later, e-commerce is the buzzword, but we'd missed that buzzword. <laughs> we we would we were, you know, people were just concerned. Will it stick? Will it not? Is it a catalyst for e-commerce? Is it gonna bounce back? Blah, 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 blah. And um that uncertainty created a you know a, a difficult scenario that we had to trade through. We had to kick out our neighbors who were struggling as a business and say, look, we'll buy you out of your lease um to put desks in their warehouse because we had no space um and you know we had decorators and carpenters coming in working around staff with the business was scaling like mad and um yeah and then there was all the work from you know everyone was working from home so we were getting the office ready for people to come back to by the time we got the office finished and lockdown ended we couldn't fit in the office anymore even with the extended space we had I think it was 60 desks and we'd hit 100 people um so you know it, then we're looking for a new premises which is like the one i'm in now but you know the search the hunt the moving in the work it's just a, an, an unbelievable roller coaster um of constant challenge where people think oh you know you put these nice things on social and companies growing looks great you know but we're trying to get the building refurbished so we can even move the team back in and move the service from one office to another without dying downtime, but with numerous people working from home. And so agility and, you know, ability to get off the hamster wheel and go, is this even the right thing? Because we might need to think about a new thing was like a constant for the past few years. Yeah. Um, but it's a great learning curve, right? So one final question for me, Joe, do you have anything uh, before we uh, coming up to an end? Do you want to add anything else, Joe? I did want to ask one more question. Um, so you recently celebrated your five year anniversary. That was last year. Where is on by on your 10 year anniversary? Oh, you know, I get asked a lot. What's your five year plan? And this is another thing. When we come back to planning as a pillar, try not to plan too far ahead because this thing you know any business you've got so much learning to do start telling people where you're going to be in 10 years you're definitely not going to be there in 10 years i can promise you that so for me 10 years is an open blank page in a book and if you'd say to me where are we going to be next year i could probably give you something a bit stronger three years probably couldn't even answer that in a way that'd be comfortable right so i talk about planning and it might sound like a contradiction but there's only so much planning you can do um next you know all i can say is this year we're delivering a really interesting exciting new product to on by and i'm very excited there's rebranding to bring it in line with where we are new features new tech new infrastructure um and hopefully touch wood a uh, big marketing campaign to back that up this year next year you know a big big launch international which we've been planning for a while but with covid brexit you know marketplace tax changes internationally and all sorts going on has just been pushed back pushed back because the landscape has just gone through such a shift over the past few years uh, but we are on track to launch internationally next year as well as more significant investment into the UK. We, we expect between now and the end of 23, some significant ramp up in, in the UK. So yeah, 
big big 18 months for us right now really really important to the journey and defining yeah. yeah, nowadays, even to have an 18 month plan seems uh, uh, something to enjoy and be uh, comfortable with. So I want to just final just ending for myself. So we've, we've learned a little bit about on by I hope uh, in the future, we really get to see and speak about all of these exciting uh, months ahead and changes. Uh, but I'm going to just 360 all the way back and say, okay, we know the pillars. But sometimes, you know, when people are listening, you know, and we're in an age where there's been a lot of stores online open up, there's a lot more competition, people are trying. Um, if I'm right, if we go right back to the start, you started your first business with £80, is that right? Yeah. What, what was that £80? Because if there's something with a low barrier to entry, a marketplace, I'd imagine there's a few more barriers to entry there. But what did you spend that first £80 on? Do you remember? That is a true story, and you've done your homework. Um, <laughs> I started my first company after just leaving the military, going to university. I shelled out quite a lot of money to make that happen in university and in fees, in housing, etc. And even into the first month of, of university, I, um, I knew it was going to be really slow-paced and it, not what I'd become used to since I was young. So I thought I need to do something. So I took a job um, while that was happening to try and get some money in to get this business off the ground, but it wasn't going to pay until the end of the month. And I only had like a spare 80 pounds. So I thought, I'm just going to get on with it. So I spent 79.99 on a uh, limited company registration, like a package that I could pay for the company to be fully registered. And, you know, they helped me with the bank account and everything. uh, that was where I spent my first eighty pounds, and the week after got my first sale, which was a two thousand pound solution. So literally from there, uh, that was the start of the the journey. Wonderful, because Joe and I will be really following the announcements over the coming months, and like it does really feel like it's the start of something. Even though we've been uh, on the journey with you for a while. Um, we will uh, pass it over to Joe for some very quick fire questions. And uh, yeah, Joe, throw away. What would you like to know? So, just real quick fire questions here. So, the metaverse is the, all the hot topic at the moment. So, if you was a character in the metaverse, who would you be? Oh my God! What would it be? What would the character be? <laughs> quick fire questions. This is a bit off piece, isn't it? This is uh, off piece, this one. Oh, go on. Who wouldn't want to be Batman? There we go. <laughs> Catwoman. It's, it's that's your alter ego. I want to be Catwoman. <laughs> that's mate. my alter ego. You're Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That was off piece. Um, what keeps you motivated? I was going to say personally, but I actually want to ask what keeps you motivated from a business aspect or in business what motivates you because you're proving them wrong there we go yeah fantastic the naysayers is never going to get anywhere nope fantastic i love that and the last one is who is an inspiration to you and that can be personally or or in business as well yeah, I think that's, I've been asked that a few times and there's no quick answer to that because I think as I go through stages, 
I'm sort of looking up to different people at different times of the journey. I've, I don't have like one person that is an inspiration. And I'm, and because I told you about the learnings earlier, I take lots of learnings from different people and try and adopt them into my own way of working, especially failures, because I think oh, I've learned from what they did there. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I, but you know, there are different things. Like I mentioned the Theopathetes thing. I read that book and I thought, no, cracking, really, really took that on board. Read lots of other books where I thought well, there's not much useful in here, right? Um, and they're not really giving really any any idea of, of what I should take on board. Personally, when I was starting out, my uncle used to have a business when I was a little boy and he, um, um, it, relatively modest, but he grew that company to about a million pound a year. Um, he had a nice car. That's probably where I got into cars and thought that's, you know, when I grow up, that was, that'd be cool. He took me with him to buy his first Ferrari, which was so different from the life I was living as a young boy. But, you know, he lived quite far away from us. And he said, do you want to come with me when I choose my first car? And I was like, yes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was relatively young and that 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 definitely inspired me. I think I was like 10. Mm -hmm. um, so different people at different times, you know, I really look at what some people do and at certain points in their career i think they've done really good things you know it sounds really like cliche uh, and I, and obviously you like different people for different things not necessarily everything i'll throw that caveat out there mm -hmm. but you know, i look at the way steve jobs looked at product and saying incredible incredible from a product perspective not everything suits some of the things i believe in in those pillars but the product side's fantastic. You you know you have to you have to really hats off, Richard Branson. When you know I think back to him starting his business, you know from the old stories of from a phone booth and mm -hmm. all of those kind of things. That true entrepreneurial flair like really stood out to me because that says anyone can do anything, right? Anyone can do anything if you if you have the the mind and the capacity to to really grind and the work ethic and those pillars we spoke about yeah. he knew what he wanted and he went and did it so i'm sorry you're not not a quick fire answer but you know. a good one yeah. yeah no great answer thank you very much Cass. no thank you i really really appreciate being uh being invited to the show Kaz, yeah. i think we've only just touched the surface okay mm -hmm. just about learning from you sharing your knowledge and your learnings you know in, we, we're in an era of sharing community learning from each other and data information is a lot more accessible so the fact that you've actually given us this time this afternoon and shared us the latest and greatest um myself and joe are really appreciated final words to you kaz before we leave no, no just just thank you really really appreciated it and um it'd be good to catch up again in the future thank yeah. you very much we look forward to the next time stay safe thanks thank kaz you.